My first year of college, straight out of high school, the first quarter, I had a very early history class. The professor was a bit eccentric. I had heard a story that he had been racing to get to the cafeteria one day at lunch and went out the window of the classroom to get to his car quicker and forgot he was on the second floor and broke his arm. Well, the first day of class, he said to us, a young nation is like a baby hippopotamus. I don't know that he ever said why. (laughs) I've come to, you know, I've drawn some conclusions for myself along the years because that's really bothered me not to have the answer to that. But baby hippopotamuses are often born in water because it holds them up and they can't stand up on their own and it keeps them from falling over. But their mothers stay with them for a couple of weeks and keep them separate because their fathers will kill them in the water but not on the land. So once they can get on the land, they're safe. Well, males, not necessarily just their fathers. But I'm thinking... Young nations, when they try to gain their independence, could be struck down by their parents. And they also need help to stand, right? Tomorrow's Independence Day here in the United States. I think there are Independence Days that probably just speckle the calendar if we only knew about them in other lands. And I don't ever want us to forget how inextricably we are linked with other lands. But our country will celebrate the date marked as when we articulated our intent to be free of the governmental control of Great Britain. As the settlements pulled themselves together, had initially fallen to the British soldiers soldiers to protect the settlers and colonists from hostiles. So and to and to give us supplies that that were necessary for survival until we learned our ways in this new land. But as this new land became more self-reliant, this infant territory began arguing with its parents because the parents wanted more control than the infant thought that it should have. And the infant didn't have as much voice as it thought it should have. Eventually, they began, this country began to fight back. It argued loudly trying to be heard but never gained a voice. Taxes were being imposed. People were being um, forced into quartering soldiers in their homes. So the rules of the house had become too harsh. And young America, without a voice, first struck back with snowballs and sticks and rocks 
which led to the Boston Massacre. And then there was a Boston Tea Party. But none of these things accomplished creating autonomy or even representation. So a year, more than a year, after we started warring with Great Britain, the Declaration of Independence was written. Now, here we are, 235 years after that, and we still have a lot to learn. With the shift that we accomplished of independence, we've had a tendency to focus a little bit on our autonomy and get a little puffed up about that, I think, sometimes. Not saying that confidence is a bad thing. But we're living in a world that is changing and in which the resources are being depleted rather quickly. And if we continue to put our focus on independence, separation, and isolation, the consequences will be dire, as best I can guess. Certainly, I don't know as much as others. But as humans, our lives begin in utter dependence, right? Unlike many other species, we arrive in the world totally helpless. If we're not given some kind of support early in our lives, we don't make it. And all of us here had some support or we wouldn't be here. Maybe we didn't have as much support as other people. Maybe we were forced into experiencing our autonomy far more early than is reasonable. Or perhaps we have not yet established our autonomy or our our individuation. But for most... By the time we're teenagers, we begin asserting ourselves and trying to generate independence as much as we can, right? But even independence can be a form of dependence if it's rebellious, if it's defiant, then it's defined by that from which we say we are independent. And in those postures, one remains dependent to have meaning. We find meaning in that dependency that we're we're explaining is independent. And the book... Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey explained, independent thinking alone is not suited to interdependent reality. 
independent people who do not have the maturity to think and act interdependently may be good individual producers, but they won't be good leaders or team players. They're not coming from a paradigm of interdependence necessary to succeed in marriage, family, or organizational reality. Now, for generations, Unitarian Universalists and Unitarians were very closely linked with postures of defiance. With some frequency, we have been self-defined as resistant. We spent a good many years looking back and describing ourselves by what we were not rather than looking ahead to our mission and vision. There's a professor of comparative religions, Indian studies, law, and psychiatry at Harvard named Diana Eck. Diana said um, that this world needs our theology. Not a theology of the lowest common denominator where we can all use words that don't offend anybody, but a theology of our highest calling. And that calling is set down pretty clearly in our principles, right? We live in a world that primarily works antithetically to the things that we believe. Are people treated equally? Is there a fair, free, and just world? Do we respect the interdependent web of life, of existence of which we're a part? That, ma- that call to move beyond our inflated sense of independence is one that begins not withholding someone else responsible for what's going on with us, but by holding ourselves accountable for what we do in response to that. Whites are culturalized to think that intent, good intentions are enough to make things okay. If your intentions are good, everything else is all right. Marginalized groups have never been taught that. In, in groups that have had their survival threatened, by a majority, good intentions can kill. It's one of the filters that we have to learn to see past. Giving more thought to broader consequences than just our intentions 
takes a lot of growing up. On my recent flight home from North Carolina, I started noticing the clouds out the window of the airplane. We flew over vast, downy fields of white. The captain turned off the seatbelt sign, and this place where all of, all of the clouds, you couldn't see the ground at all. It was just white below us. In this area where the clouds were unified, it was smooth sailing. A lovely flight. Then I started noticing the clouds protruding up from the fields of white, almost looking like mushroom clouds with wakes around them as though they had burst through the clouds below them. Then as we flew a little bit farther, the clouds broke up a bit. And there were protrusions that looked something like you might see in Monument Valley in Utah where there are these beautiful pillars and outcroppings of uh, sandstone. Um, making giants and archways. They were more, the clouds were more populated than the Monument Valley. They were closer together, but they had similar shape. And as the clouds were breaking up, the flight became more turbulent. The air currents must have been moving up and down. I know nothing about weather. So I can only talk in my lay terms about this. I didn't look it up so that I could be intelligent speaking about it. Sorry about that. Monument Valley is in Utah, and it's on a Navajo Tribal Park, just for information for those of you who aren't familiar with it. But I, we flew a little bit farther. Now the clouds weren't as majestic. They were smaller, farther apart, more like islands in a sea. And as they got farther apart, the captain turned on the seatbelt sign, told the stewardesses to stop serving and go back and sit in their seats until further notice. There was no darkness in the sky, no, not a thunderstorm to be seen. Just these little white islands. But in the separation from this unification, all this turbulence had arisen. In between the ephemeral statues, air currents, no, the ephemeral puffs of islands, air currents had gotten more intense. I know that it's not always this way, because as we flew further, the little white clouds were still there, and the turbulence had stopped. And I thought, well, maybe as we become acclimated to our independence, 
we don't stir up so much trouble. Anyway, on this day, on this flight, the lack of unity absolutely made the going rougher. In their solitude, the clouds were signifying turbulence. I realize one thing probably has very little to do with the other. But maybe in the acclamation, things can calm down around us. I don't know. I think that a better answer is to work towards bringing the clouds back together. William Ellery Channing said, I am a living member of the great family of all souls. It's this comment from which the name of this church comes. This great family of which we are a part is in need of those who can hold it with love and compassion, hold a world that has conflicting ideologies and heal the deep divisions and wounds to comfort the bereft, to care for the broken, to speak for those who have no voice and learn to hear through the cacophony. The capacity to see our interrelatedness, to move beyond our independence and toward interdependence is not a given. It is a function of maturity, but it's a choice. It requires that we have minds, minds that are open to that which we cannot comprehend currently. It requires that we have hearts that are open to what we do not know, those we do not know. And spirits that are open to what we cannot contain. None of this can be done alone. And if we expect it of ourselves, surely we will fail unless we find a way to do it together. It requires that we acknowledge we are not, nor can we be, truly independent. There are very few individuals among us in this day and age who have the skill sets to survive for very long, totally alone. If we were dropped in the wilderness... Yet there is great cause for hope. And we are a part of it. Oddly enough, 
You are among the people who are likely best suited and equipped to walk through this wilderland and build the bridges and shelters for those who come after us. Because we do understand that there is beauty and diversity. Because we do understand that we don't have to think alike to love alike. We don't even have to look like we're loving alike. Working together, we're not alone. No one has to be alone. There is nothing homogenous about that which I am advocating for. There is nothing easy about choosing to approach the world from a perspective of interdependence. It involves self-reliance and reliability. It is a commitment that is not contingent on results. American writer, painter, sculptor, and publisher Brian Andreas wrote, Anyone can slay a dragon. But the waking up each day and loving the world all over again, that takes a real hero. Hero.